Welcome to the Bright Vibe Podcast. At Bright Vibe, we believe everyone deserves to be happy. But in today's world, everywhere you turn, there is division and negativity. At Bright Vibe, we have created a global movement to bring 8 million people together who are inspired to live bright, live bold, and share bright vibes. Alone, it can be hard to change, but together we can change the world. Welcome to the Bright Vibe Podcast. Well, Ocean Robbins, welcome to the show today. So happy to have you on. Thrilled to be with you. Yes, yes. I love I love your work. Love what you've got going on. I want to learn more about it. I haven't. I've like started to learn more about uh, you and your. I guess your father. That's so cool that you and your father work together in in, in this. But that's amazing. I, I I love hearing stories like that. Um, but really, talk to us about what is the Food Revolution Network, and then your book, the Thirty One Day Food Revolution: Heal Your Body, Feel Great, and Transform Your World. Kind of who is Ocean Robbins, and kind of what are you? What's your passion? <laughs> Okay, well, there's a lot in that. <laughs> well, uh, so and I don't so ask who is Ocean Robbins? Uh, I yeah. am a soul on a journey of healing. Uh, uh, I'm also an activist and an yeah. educator, and uh, I'm on a mission as his Food Revolution Network to change the way the world eats. Yes, we have a we have a toxic food culture, right? And the impact of that toxic food culture is that. Industrialized agriculture has become the most environmentally destructive force mm-hmm. on the planet. Totally agree. The impact of that system is that our toxic food culture is killing us by the billions, mm-hmm. and it's threatening our ability to provide food for future generations of humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the United States, we now spend 18% of our gross domestic product on what we call health care, but it's really disease symptom management. Right. And uh, the vast majority of that is on treating the symptoms of chronic disease, mm-hmm. 80% of which could be prevented with changes in diet. Right. In so health. at yeah. a financial level, we're spending more than twice as much money, actually three times as much money in the U.S. on the medical system as we are on the defense budget. Wow. And most of that could be saved. So you think about right. how much we could do with that money. Right. You know, what we could, what problems we could solve, sure. how we could uplift everybody uh, or reduce taxes or whatever the heck you want to do with it. <laughs> Good all stuff. simply by changing what we eat and save millions of lives right. and improve the quality of life for just about everybody else. I mean, two thirds of our population is overweight or obese. Right. We have the fattest and sickest population in the history of the world in the United States right now. Right. And we could turn that around mm-hmm. with simple changes to diet and lifestyle. So I'm kind of on a mission <laughs> to shift that so that we can save lives, save our economy, save Medicare, right. uh, save our planet yeah. with changes in diet and lifestyle. And that's what Food Revolution Network's up to. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. And so when you say up to, let's lean into more of that. So Food Revolution Network, obviously you have a ton of passion around this and it's a really not just the United States, but really globally, this is more of a global, but I'm sure, you know, you're focusing on the United States, but so, so what do you do it then? What do you do at Food Revolution Network to help people understand, educate, integrate, right? Absolutely. Well, yeah, it is global. I mean, everybody eats, right? Right. And, uh, and everybody needs food to live. And interestingly, uh, genetics matter, but at the end of the day, uh, what you eat unlocks certain genes and shuts down other genes. So what we find is that, you know, the more people eat like Americans, the more they suffer and die like Americans. Right. And the American way of producing food is spreading around the world. And with it, waistlines are expanding and hospitals are filling up and people are getting sick and fat 
like us. Right. So we want to, we, this has global impact. So what do we do? Well, we have uh, an online community of over 700,000 members. We have a newsletter that we send out regularly, mm -hmm. just kind of with action updates and resources and tips. We have a website with a blog with, you know, hundreds of articles focused on leading edge food and health topics and authoritative nutritional advice and, you know, data driven research. Um, and we also have online courses and ebooks and cookbooks and my own book, 31 Day Food Revolution, which is mm -hmm. a, you know, a national bestseller. Mm -hmm. And we are just working to spread the word in all kinds of ways. Um, the Food Revolution Summit is our biggest annual event. Right. Millions of people have gone through that over mm -hmm. the last 11 years. And uh, in that, I work with my dad and colleague, uh, right. John Robbins, who's yeah. a two million copy bestselling author himself, to interview some of the top food experts on the planet. Mm -hmm. And so we interview all these folks, we broadcast that all for free, mm -hmm. and folks can go to foodrevolutionsummit.org to listen to the latest summit replays, oh, nice. uh, mm -hmm. hear these leading edge experts share their wisdom, mm -hmm. um, and it's all completely free. Oh, I love it, I love it, love it. If you are enjoying this chat with our friend Ocean Robbins, then you're really gonna love his documentary, The Need to Grow. It's a timely solutions-based look at the end of farmable soil. We love inspiring stories here at the podcast, and this film is full of inspirational speakers and motivating information. Check out the link in the show notes. So for, let, let's just pretend everybody is eating the traditional American diet, which is not great for us, right? In fact, it's unhealthy altogether. So typically, how do you kind of start people or educate people from uh, knowing nothing into kind of starting to learn about, you know, what are some, maybe some basics and, or where does somebody who's just getting into this get started? Well, you know, if you're somebody who's just getting started, maybe you've eaten a fairly standard American diet your whole life. First, I want to say like, it's urgent and it matters. And mm -hmm. no matter where you are in your stage of life, it matters. If you're early in life, it matters the most because of course, changing habits will impact you for the rest of your life, right? Mm -hmm. um, if you're later in life and you've already eaten, you know, maybe not the best to this point, right. some people say, oh, is it too late for me? You know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I've already dug my own grave maybe, or maybe right. not, but it's, I'll take my chances. I'm not gonna change now. But here's the thing, the, the worse you've eaten so far, mm -hmm. the, actually the more you have to gain from making a change. The right. more likely it is that you're gonna have arteries that clog up, you're gonna suffer from dementia, you're gonna get cancer, other health ailments that could be prevented with changes now. So uh, really the best time to start is now. You know, they right. always say the best time to plant a fruit tree is about 15 years ago, and but the next best time is today, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. You start where you are and you do the best you can. And you know, it's not a, uh, it's not a purity packed situation. You know, mm. you don't have to, to be holier than thou or be perfect. We, sh we can't make the perfect into the enemy of the good. So I'm really big on starting where you are and taking steps that are sustainable to change habits, mm -hmm. not uh, draconian diets that you implement for a month and, and then go right back to where you were. Because at the end of the day, it's what you do day in and day out that matters the most. And so, you know, you could start with getting rid of the bad stuff, you know, mm -hmm. clearing out some of the most, the worst offenders in your kitchen. You right. know, for some people that's gonna be hot dogs and, you know, Coca-Cola and high fructose corn syrup and, right. you know, junk, super processed junk foods. And, and for other people, you know, that's gonna be, you know, they're, they're gonna be a little more refined and maybe they're getting off the whole wheat bread and focusing on, you know, whole mm -hmm. grains instead or right. moving away from flowers or, you know, not eating, you know, even the, the healthy cookies, you know, but, right. but moving towards healthier stuff or getting away from the chips, you know, right. 
And, and then for other people, it's going to be focusing on sprouting and, oh, you know, mm -hmm. superfoods, fermented foods, getting mm -hmm. into the really, really healthy whole foods that are supercharged. Mm -hmm. So wherever you are on the journey, getting rid of the bad, saying yes to the good, mm -hmm. cultivating healthy habits, making friends with new recipes based on whole plant foods. And that's kind of the cornerstone of what what we promote is basing your diet around whole foods mm -hmm. as opposed to processed junk mm -hmm. and plant-based which is generally loaded with the phytonutrients you know the mm -hmm. antioxidants and the flavonoids the vitamins the minerals mm -hmm. all the phytochemicals that really help you thrive and getting away from the animal products that are resource intensive mm -hmm. tend to be cruel mm -hmm. um, and are loaded with saturated fat and other compounds that are linked to higher risk of disease and premature death Mm -hmm. And isn't it, yeah, and I know I've, uh, we've had guests on, Dan Butner. I guess I wrote his name down as the Blue Zone guy, you know, as we were kind of talking and he talks about this quite a bit, but so is it really a, a vegetarian diet specifically, or is it kind of, I mean, what that you guys typically promote or, or what's the, well, when you say moving away from, so is it moving away from fish, eggs, dairy? I mean, kind of what's the. What, I mean, generally, I, I see. I want to see us eating less sugar and processed junk, right? Less animal products, especially from factory farms, and more right. whole plant foods. Got it. You know, so so yeah, we we are supportive of a vegan direction, mm -hmm. but we don't use the V word a whole lot. Because honestly, <laughs> I think this world has the enough fundamentalism. Yes, I think we got enough. Like I'm this, and you're that, and right, we are right. in our camps, yes. and we're gonna fight it to the death. And right. you know, is is it best to be a hundred percent vegan or mostly? I'm not gonna get into that argument argument to be honest because right. we're not all the same sure but i can tell you that as a society we need to move away from our dependence on animal products mm -hmm. and towards more whole plant foods right. and the benefits of doing so are enormous and for some people that means going all the way and we totally celebrate <laughs> and support that and we show folks how to do it wisely right because you know uh, any diet has its potential deficiencies or issues and so right. you know there's a few supplements that most people should be taking but especially pure vegans should be taking right you know like b12 which you're not going to get get from you know any plant foods for the most part except right. certain you know certain dirt it's basically in dirt you know um <laughs> and, and uh, but unless, unless you eat unless you eat good organic dirt you know right, like it's, right, with uh, and there are some downsides to that i've got to say uh <laughs> so you know it's it's a b12 is an example of like yeah strict vegans should be taking b12 and, and frankly omnivores probably should as well yep, in most I cases because yeah. we don't all metabolize it efficiently uh, you know, and also omega threes are a concern. Specifically, if you don't eat fish, right. then you should be taking, I think, an algae sourced DHA or EPA. Right. Now, there's controversy about this, and it's not necessarily true for everybody. Mm -hmm. Some people are able to eat plenty of ALA mm -hmm. and then convert it to EPA and DHA. These are the omega three fatty right. acids I'm talking about here. But not everybody can convert efficiently, and EPA and DHA are not available in any plant foods except algae mm -hmm. which then feeds up the food chain into fish right so uh so that's just something to be aware of those are a couple of nutrients that we talk mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. um and uh in general i'm a big fan of getting your your nutrients from food mm -hmm. and i'm also a big fan of plant foods and so if you're going to go totally vegan then those are a couple nutrients among a few others you know you to be aware that. of yeah. And I, you know, I think all of us at this point, uh, you know, at a certain age or, and probably even younger folks know even better, but I think we all know that we should be eating more vegetables. We know we should be eating more leafy greens. I mean, it's not like it's a foreign science anymore. I mean, it's not like when I was growing up or maybe you were growing up or people older than, than us. It, it's, it, it's like, okay, yeah, 
this makes sense. I know I need to eat more greens. I know I need to eat more vegetables. I think, I think there's still some mystery around which vegetables to eat and kind of how do you get enough calories? How do you get enough protein? I think some of that floats out there, but for what, so what was kind of, I, and, and it sounds like, you know, your dad had written a, a book about this as well. So you may have grown up in this type of environment, but really where did, where did you get started? I guess what, what drives, typically I find people that have as much passion as you do. They typically have a big reason why um, somewhere. And usually it's deep down, you know, from years ago, but wh- what sure. is, what's driving your passion or where, where did it kind of start? Well, I mean, my family story is a pretty interesting one. So my grandpa, Irv, founded an ice cream company called Baskin Robbins. Oh, my gosh. I did not know. Oh, really? So you're, okay, wait. Yeah. I I apologize for not knowing that, but literally Baskin Robbins. Your name is Ocean Robbins. Ocean Robbins. (laughs) Right. Baskin Robbins. The founder of Baskin Baskin Robbins. Robbins. Oh, this is, okay. That's super cool. Yeah. So my dad, my dad, John, grew up with an ice cream cone-shaped swimming pool in the backyard <laughs> and 31 flavors of ice cream in the freezer. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I love he, it. he was groomed to one day join and running the family company. Okay. But when he was in his early 20s, he was offered that chance. And he said no. And he, mm. he walked away from a path that was practically paved with gold and ice cream mm. Right. to, as we jokingly say in our family, follow his own rocky road. And <laughs> he ended up moving with my mom to a little island off the coast of Canada. They built a one-room log cabin, grew most of their own food. Wow. Practiced yoga and meditation for several hours a day and named wow. their kid Ocean. Uh, and, <laughs> and I didn't uh, bring the... that up. I wasn't going to bring that up. I was like, he's got to hear, he's got to get that question all the time. I'm just going to let that one be. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah. Uh, well, by, by the way, they almost named me Kale. Before <laughs> Kale was cool. Right before that um, was an end thing. But I've no... got to say, I, I lucked out. Yeah. My social life lucked out that yeah. they chose the more conservative name <laughs> when, they, uh, when they named their son. Uh, but we did eat a lot of Kale and cabbage and carrots (laughs) and other veggies from the garden. And when I got a little older, you know, my dad ended up uh, researching the food industry in which he had grown up and coming up with a book called Diet for a New America in 1987, which Mm -hmm. became this runaway bestseller. And Mm -hmm. it was about how our food choices affect our health and our world. Mm -hmm. And the media called him the rebel without a cone, among other (laughs) things, and and the prophet of nonprofit. And... uh, you know, uh, he inspired a lot of folks, including, as fate would have it, my grandpa. Now, my dad's uncle, Bert Baskin, my brother, my, my grandpa's brother-in-law and business partner. Wow. Okay. Had uh, it gets even had died of had died of heart disease at the age of fifty-four. Oh my so, gosh. Um, my dad's uncle Bert was a big man. He yeah. always ate the standard American diet plus a whole lot of ice cream. Right. And uh, you know, he was one of the most successful entrepreneurs in American history. Right. But he didn't have his health. Right. He left his wife a widow and his kids oh, fatherless right. at 54. Right. And so my grandpa Irv at 69 was mm-hmm. on a similar trajectory. He had serious mm-hmm. heart issues, weight issues, type 2 diabetes. His doctors told him he didn't have long to live mm-hmm. unless he made some big changes. Right. And they give him a copy of my dad's book. Wow. And this is where the story gets even more interesting. My grandpa mm-hmm. Irv read the book. Not mm-hmm. not the autographed copy my dad had sent him when it came out, mind you, <laughs> right. but the copy the doctor, the doctor gave, gave him in the doctor's office, right? Nice, beautiful. He read it and he followed its advice and he ended up uh, cutting way down on animal product consumption, mm-hmm. cutting way down on processed foods, giving mm-hmm. up sugar, giving up ice, ice cream. Ice cream, wow. Yeah, seriously, I kid you not. He gave up ice cream and he started eating way more fruits and vegetables and whole plant foods. And he got stunning results. And he was a very methodical man. He tracked everything in charts. Wow. And so he was tracking his, you know, his, his blood test scores mm-hmm. and diabetes numbers and his, his uh, 
medicine intakes and right. his dietary intake. And what he saw was this massive change within a couple of months. He lost about 30 pounds. Oh, wow. And before long, he was off his diabetes and blood pressure meds that he had been told he would take for the rest of his life. Right. And he was walking five miles a day with his dog every morning. Wow. And his golf game improved seven strokes. <laughs> Which was probably the most important to him at that time. Probably. He lived <laughs> right. on a golf course, yeah, and golf right. was a big part of his life. Right. Seven, so, seven um, strokes is a lot off your hand. That's cap. a lot. So yeah. so he lived 19 more healthy years. Oh, good. And, um, you know, so we've really seen in our family that, you know, when we follow the standard American diet, we get the standard American diseases. I mean, I never even knew my dad's uncle, Bert. Right. Because he died before I was born. Right. But I certainly knew my grandpa. Mm -hmm. And I knew what he was suffering with, and I saw his fear, mm -hmm. and then I saw his transformation, right. and knew him for 19 more years. I had my grandpa in my life until right. I was in my 30s right. because of the changes he made when I was a teenager, huh. and because of the work my dad did. And, you know, a lot of us have a hard time making changes, right? We've got a lot of investment in the way we've always done stuff. And, right. And so for many of us, you know, making big changes, especially in something as personal as what we eat, is super hard. Can you imagine how hard it was for my grandpa to make a change in yeah, his diet? I mean, crazy. this is a man who had manufactured and sold more ice cream than anyone who's ever lived. And right. you know, newsflash, ice cream's not a health food. And so <laughs> for him, he had a he had a investment Major. to say the least in saying there's no connection between diet and health, right? It's all right. genetics. Right. But he went ahead and made these changes because he wanted to live. Right. And he became uh, an example, I think, to the rest of us that that major change is possible. Right. And at it can lead age. to major benefits, right, right, at any age. And so, you know, I think that that's something, that's a story that, that really moved me in my mm -hmm. youth. Definitely. As did the uh, the tens of thousands of letters that we received as a family in response to my dad's book. We, he put oh. a little um, memo in the back saying, hey, yeah. if you were inspired by this, write, write me at this P.O. box, basically. Nice. And the P.O. box got, you know, uh, in the Felton, California, mm -hmm. which was where the P.O. box was located, uh, at one point there were over half of the mail coming to that PO system <laughs> was for responses to my dad's book. Wow. Every day there'd be a box full of letters and we'd wow. have to go in person because the PO box couldn't fit it. Neither could a PO drawer. Right. We were kind of taking over the post office and it was all people saying like, thank you, you've changed my life. Like tens right. of thousands of real handwritten letters. This is back before email, you know? And right, of course. Yeah. So growing up as a youngster, seeing that, that I was right. like, wow, this stuff is powerful. And mm -hmm. so I founded a nonprofit when I was 16. I didn't just want to do what my dad did. So, right. you know, being being a little rebellious, I, I worked with young leaders around the world in 65 countries, mm -hmm. focused on social justice, peace, human rights, and sustainability. It was kind of a youth leadership nonprofit mm -hmm. And uh, called Yes or Yes yep. World. It's still yep. going to this day. And, um, but I directed that for 20 years. Uh -huh. And as I worked with leaders all over the planet, I kept seeing that what we're eating is having this massive impact. And, right. you know, I worked with indigenous leaders in the Amazon mm -hmm. who were telling us about how their, their rainforest homeland was being destroyed for cattle grazing mm -hmm. and for soy plantations to, guess what? Feed livestock. Oh, right. And, I, I saw indigenous leaders in the Arctic who are dependent on the caribou herds for their survival. Mm -hmm. And those caribou herds are now threatened by climate change. Mm -hmm. And then I saw the UN reports showing us that, you know, cows impact our climate more than cars do. Yeah, I've read and, that as well. Mm -hmm. you know, in light of this, I said, I've got to focus on food. You know, right. if we want to really change the world and help heal lives and heal the world, we got to focus on food. So, so... You know, I joined with my dad in 2012 to launch Food Revolution Network. 
-hmm. with the mission of healthy, ethical, and sustainable food for all. And, mm -hmm. you know, this has been my passion, you know, ever since. And, mm -hmm. you know, we really do want to change the way the world eats. And, and it's a big mission, mm -hmm. uh, but it's happening. You know, mm -hmm. honestly, it's happening right now. Like we are seeing profound, almost unimaginable changes at the rate of change. I mean, the number of Americans who identify as vegan mm -hmm. has 30x, 30-fold oh. increase, you know, in the last 15 years. I, I, who who yeah, would have thought yeah, that would happen, right. you know? So, and I, you know, we're not all about vegan per se, but the number of people who are Moving interested in eating more plant right. foods yeah. is like about half the population now. Exactly. And, you know, that's a, that that's where you start to get major change when it, like half the population is saying, hey, this is possible. And yep. just like we've seen change in cars, you know, we went mm -hmm. from electric cars being a weird outlier right. to being like the future of the automotive industry. Yeah, I would say that, you know, plant proteins and plant foods in general are the future of the food industry. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's good news for our planet. And 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 I agree 110 um, percent. The when we talk about those sustainability in food. So. Again, kind of back to uh, people that are living in their house and they're, you know, working, doing whatever, whatever they're living their life. And we're talking about sustainably grown food. What do you mean by sustainably grown food versus um, uh, I'm just going to go to the grocery store and buy what is in the grocery store? So kind of help us understand sustainably grown food. Well, sustainable is a catchphrase that can mean a lot of different mm -hmm. things, you know, um, and um, there is no official definition right. but i'll tell you some things to look out for mm -hmm. um so organic matters mm -hmm. uh, organic is a certification and it means that no unapproved pesticides were used uh insecticides herbicides fungicides uh and it also means that no chemical fertilizers were used mm -hmm. in the production of that food and in the case of animal products it means that they were fed organic feed as well right um and so you know, organic is a big deal because uh, most of our food is being contaminated, not just with insecticides that kill bugs, but also with herbicides that uh, kill er kill weeds, right. but that also uh, end up, you know, in the food chain. So like glyphosate, which is the right. main active ingredient in uh, Roundup, mm -hmm. is, you know, a probable carcinogen, an endocrine disruptor, mm -hmm. um, and it's been patented as an antibiotic, so it can disrupt Lots bacteria in the gut, right? right. And yep. this is now the most widespread pesticide in use today. Mm -hmm. Just to be clear, pesticide is, includes all of the biocides, mm -hmm. herbicides, fungicides, and insecticides are all considered pesticides. Some mm -hmm. people are confused on that point. Mm. Um, so organic foods are growing without chemical versions right. of those things. There are still some compounds that are used to kill bugs, for example, that are approved for organic agriculture. Oh, I didn't know but that. But they are far less toxic mm -hmm. than the than the ones that are used in, you know, industrialized agriculture. Okay. Um, that said, we now have the spread of what some call organic ink, you know, the, the, mm -hmm. the industrialized 20,000 acre organic farm right. that follows the letter of the law, but is not necessarily super sustainable. They're still using big machinery. Right. They're still, yep. uh, you know, they're mm -hmm. doing everything they can to industrialize for mass production at the lowest possible price. And the good news is it's a step forward. The bad news is it's not as big a step forward as some of us would like. Those sure. of us who want to see things like companion planting, who want right. to see things like berms and swales and, you know, uh, water, uh, you know, uh, water saving techniques, who, mm -hmm. who want to see a real focus on recarbonizing the soil right. rather than exploiting it so that the soil's getting richer with every successive year, mm -hmm. who love to see cover crops, who love to see 
you know, um, there's a lot of techniques that organic farmers can use when they're really focused on sustainability rather than this year's profits, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so there's a new term being thrown around called regenerative mm -hmm. agriculture. Right. Sometimes that's associated specifically with grazing techniques in livestock. Sometimes it means nothing to do with that. It just means ways of growing food that create more carbon in the soil, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so different people define it different ways. Definitions are all over the map. Mm -hmm. um, there's a bit of a myth out there that uh, pasture-raised or grass-fed beef is regenerative and therefore draws carbon out of the atmosphere and it's good for the planet um, or that there are ways to do it that are. Right. And I am sad to say that the research so far, if that, if that was true, I would be all for it. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, the research so far finds that that theory is quite lacking. Right. Um, while it is possible for certain grazing techniques to get more carbon directly in the soil, the total impact of the cows on that land with belching methane and, you know, uh, various other impacts that they have is still negative and it takes a lot of land to graze beef. Mm -hmm. um, and that's all land that can't be turned into forest right. or other things that are far more effective at sequestering carbon. So. Yeah. If we're really serious about sequestering carbon, we're going to have to eat a lot less beef so we can turn grazing land back into forest land. Got you it. know, 83% of the world's agricultural land is being used for livestock production right now for 19% of the world's calories, 33% of the world's protein. Hmm. And uh, so we really have kind of a protein factory in reverse. Yeah. You know, we're taking land and we're, 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 when we go up the food chain, we're losing efficiency. Because right. most of what the cows eat is biomass right. that they are turning into hoof and hide and bones and manure mm -hmm. and, and heat and right. energy they used to move around, not into flesh or milk or eggs. So at the end of the day, if we want sustainability, we have to move in that direction. Now, as an individual, eating plant-based is a great way to walk lighter on the earth, lower mm -hmm. on the food chain. It's also going organic is a great way to get rid of the pesticides. Mm -hmm. And if you can go further and support local small-scale yeah, farms in your community, yeah. farmers markets, yep. things like that, that's fantastic. And then I'm also a big proponent of fair trade certification mm -hmm. when you're buying bananas or mm -hmm. other foods but, that are growing in tropical countries. You know, and I've seen that. So what does that mean, fair trade? Because I've seen that on, like, I've seen on shampoos, I think, conditioners, like, you, to your point, food. So what the heck does fair, I know what organic, I mean, I kind of have a general yeah. idea of grain, but I have no idea what fair trade means. What does that mean? Well, well, in principle, what it means is that uh, the people who grew the food or product were treated fairly, were, were paid enough to feed their own families. Oh, okay. So and, can, perhaps, and perhaps the farmers were treated, paid enough that they could do the right thing on their land as well. Because, you know, when farmers are in desperation, mm -hmm. they're more likely to cut corners to right. squeeze out maximal profits. They'll sure, sneak in some, some pesticides, even if they're certified organic, if they think mm -hmm. they can get away with it because mm -hmm. they're on the edge, you know. Right. And uh, we see this most direly in the chocolate industry where uh, millions of children in Ivory Coast and Ghana mm -hmm. are functionally enslaved. They're not even in school. They have to work all day in the fields to uh, keep their family's cocoa production up because they get paid barely enough to keep a roof over their heads and they get paid per pound of cocoa. Mm -hmm. And so if the kids are out there in the field, the family gets more pounds and right. that's how they're able to survive right. so that they can think it. And so parents are faced between how do I have enough food to feed my kids mm -hmm. and do I have to make my kids work all day instead of being in school? And so a lot of them are making their kids work. Mm. And so uh, this is this is one of the consequences you get that can that can lead to gener generational cycles of poverty uh, because we didn't pay an extra few pennies a pound 
for our chocolate, you mm -hmm. know? And so that little bit can make a huge difference. So fair trade <clears throat> certification basically says that there was a monitoring body <clears throat> that looked at the data and looked at the practices and said, yeah, this is legit. And, you know, who are, there are a lot of different monitoring bodies. They have different standards, mm -hmm. but they all mean something. And it's mm -hmm. all a step forward. Right. And I think that was the point I was getting ready to make is that it's not perfect. And I think for, when you were talking about the chocolate thing, I'd never even heard of that or thought of that. Um, but I think it's more about raising the awareness so people can vote with their dollars and their choices, right? About now that I know more about fair trade, I'll start looking for it more because you've educated me today about what, what fair trade is, what is, what is fair trade, right? And so I think that's a huge step is just helping people understand that these things are even happening in the world. I had no idea that that was happening in, in Africa until you just brought that up. So um, that's cool stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. That's yeah, really cool. Are, are there some companies out there that you really like in the space? Um, organic, fair trade, that you're just like, you're a raving fan or stuff that you consume? Mm -hmm. I'm, and because we, we're, I mean, and this, and this show's not getting sponsored by any, any yeah, of these companies. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm like, I'm just, maybe they'll send me a crate of something. Maybe I think that's what happens yeah. on the big shows, right? It's like, oh, I got a crate of oranges, <laughs> right? But are there, right. are there, but, but we do need to highlight companies that are doing it the right way, right? I mean, that's how oh, kind of do. this whole machine works. It's like if once people find out, oh, wait, this company's actually, and we've started to see that in, in some companies that, well, especially obviously like uh, Elon Musk and the whole, you know, he's huge now, right? Because right. of the electric car thing. So, so yeah, what companies do you kind of, would be examples, I guess. What could be some examples of companies that you think are doing a really good job at trying to do these things? I mean, uh, there are a lot of them, which is mm -hmm. the good news. More right. and more companies that are really merging people, planet, and profits as their bottom line, the triple bottom line, as they call it. You know, mm -hmm. um, one of my personal favorites, like mm -hmm. just amazing companies, is Dr. Bronner's. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, we they, have that they, in our house. They yeah. they are uh, they are the real deal. You know, oh. they are they are a mission driven company. They donate huge amounts of their proceeds to support good causes. Um, within their own company, they they pay all their employees quite well. They have mm -hmm. a five to one maximum spread between the highest paid and lowest paid right. employee, and that enables them to treat their people well mm -hmm. and offer generous benefits. And then they give a lot to support good causes, <laughs> and they they pay farmers well. Every ingredient is sourced consciously and intentionally, and they're just starting to get into food a little bit. I think they actually mm -hmm. are coming out with a fair trade chocolate now. Oh. Um, and uh, that's super ethical. So they're they're a cool company. You know, there there are a lot of good companies out there. But um, you know, David Bronner is a friend, and so I, uh, I have to mention can, them. Good, perfect. I'm glad because that was. Can you get him to put this print on those bottles bigger? Because I cannot. Read it. <laughs> it is like six point or something, and I'm like, and oh half the time gosh. I don't understand it. That I'm like, I think it's probably. And I'm like, <laughs> if you can't read it, I'm sure it's just the intentionality around it's, the it's, bottle, right? They I are. Mean, they are. A quir they are quirky. There's yeah, no doubt I, about I, it. I was like, but just make it big enough so that if I do want to read it, I can read it in the shower or whatever, right? <laughs> <laughs> so yes, tell me to put that print bigger <laughs> or at least put a QR code so I can pull it up somewhere and actually see what the heck it says. I bet it's on their website. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. All right. So you like Dr. Bronner's for kind of household type. Oh, well, I know, I know they yeah. do soaps and shampoos. I don't know what else they do, but I know they do soaps and shampoos because we have it at our house. Um, so food wise, what, what do we think food wise? What's a company that we could kind of I mean, the, be the best company is going to be your local farmer's market. Right. And, okay. uh, yeah. Actually, Locally I'm a big grown. fan of community-supported agriculture, yeah. which is kind of even a step further. Uh -huh. um, there are over 10,000 community-supported agriculture yeah. programs in the U.S. right now, many more around the world. And mm -hmm. 
CSAs, as they're yep, known, yep. are basically where you, you develop a relationship with a farmer and you right. get a share of their harvest. And right. some of them are like, you get a box every week right. and yep. it's whatever the heck they have on the farm, you know? Yep. So it's like, oh, it's zucchini yep. week or, <laughs> right. oh, wow, it's celery yak week or whatever. And you get all this stuff, right? And, and then right. you kind of have a stake in their success. And right. for the farmer, it takes some of the pressure off because they right. have guaranteed income. Sure. And they also like... Otherwise, because obviously harvests go up and down with sure. different seasonality and different right. dynamics. And so if you get a stake in that, sometimes you get more, if you're willing to be more flexible with the farm, right. then you get more, you get more food, you get more bang for your buck, so to speak. Right. And others of them, you actually every week make an order and you're like, mm -hmm. hey, here's what yep. we, they say, here's what we got and here's what we're selling it for. And right. you just take what you want. And that's, you know, more consumer friendly and you're probably going to pay a premium price for that type of model. But right. Either way, you just show up or they deliver and you get your box and it's all at once and it actually can save time from a consumer perspective mm -hmm. uh, and it gets, gets a relationship with that farm. And then when supply chains break down and trucks aren't shipping stuff all over the world and there's farmer, there's, uh, you know, trucker protests happening right. at the border or whatever right. the heck happens, you got your food covered, you know, because <laughs> right. you know your farmer and that's a pretty awesome place to be. Um, obviously, growing food is even the best of all, by the yeah, way. Yes. They say think globally, act locally. Well, right. You don't get more local than your own backyard and right. you don't get more food security than that. And it's therapeutic and you can really control what goes in and you get to be a part of the solution on planet Earth at the most tangible level. And, you know, if you've got kids in your family, mm -hmm. studies show that when kids eat are part of growing vegetables, they eat more vegetables, right. not just then, but oh. for lifelong because right. they're developing habits, right? So right. that relationship with food is really important. And so the more personal it gets, whether it's growing your own, knowing the farmer, harvesting at your neighbor's field, whatever it is, <laughs> those things are like the best of the best, right? And then farmer's markets are like one step out from yep, that. Yep. And then shopping at a locally owned co-op mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. grocery store that's mm -hmm. not a big chain, but it's a natural food store that focuses on healthy stuff. Like that's the next step up. Yep. Then you go to sort of chain stores like Whole Foods or what have you. Right. And then you go to like deal with what you got. You know, there's right. people who Walmart's the only way they can get organic produce. Well, right. if that's your situation then, that's then you, you know do. i guess go i guess that's where you go but but at the end of the day trying to focus then on organic and fair trade certification and then you right. kind of go out the rungs and you're like just eat lots of vegetables you know like yep. if, if all you can do is eat commercially grown vegetables then you know that. and you don't have access to any of these other things i'm talking about mm -hmm. don't let that stop you we have tens of thousands of studies that are mm -hmm. published in peer-reviewed journals showing us that eating vegetables is healthy for you right. most of the vegetables in those studies were not organic they weren't growing in backyards right. you know yep. they were the walmart type right and they still get lots of health benefits so you know do the best you can with what you got and you know if your best option is you know finding the healthiest salad mm -hmm. you know at a at a fast, fast food, food restaurant, restaurant. Yep, I've done that. that's still yep. going to be a step better than eating the junkiest you know burger right. at that same restaurant so you know you do what you can you take steps and you keep going forward and then see if you can go further. Yeah, I love that. And I think that that was a, I love the way you articulated that. Very straightforward, very simple. And and I never had anybody just line it up like that. Basically like one, two, three, four, five. I mean, I've kind of felt that and known that just in my own, you know, evolution of eating. But yeah, that's a perfect way to, to look at it. And those CSAs, because uh, I've been a member off and on for uh, throughout the years, but you just Google you know, CSAs in, in my city, right? It's not that it's not that there's, it's not complex, right? You can find these sort find these things locally if you just Google it or whatever, whatever 
I'm not promoting Google here, whatever, whatever, uh, <laughs> whatever way you want to search, but they're search, out search there. Engine search engine. Yeah, thing. Exactly. Whatever search engine you choose, you're, you're going to find this stuff. So it's not, and, and I think it's, I found it. It's kind of fun, you know, to, to your point, yes. to, to, when you're interacting with people that are more local, you're, you're getting to know them. You shoot you. A lot of times you end up knowing people that they know and, you know, the, it's just a more, I guess, holistic and a p- very positive way relationship that you're having with, with your food. Because um, I know, you know, when we were doing that, uh, certainly you, 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 you did get the wild card stuff once in a while. And you're like, what the heck is that? And how do we make it? And now we have to. And so it became kind of this fun game of, okay, what is it? And let's figure out what, how to cook it or how to prepare it. Or, and then let's, you know, so it's, you're learning stuff, I guess, is my point. And it's more adventurous than just eating the same thing over and over and over every day, which yeah, I think a, lo- a lot of us get into that routine. We do. And if you're doing that, at least make it a good thing. You know, <laughs> like yeah. if you, most of us have a fairly small starting rotation of things we right. make super regularly yeah. and, so if you can swap out even one of those recipes with a healthy one, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that's more power to you. The, the, the thing to remember is that like any skill, healthy eating takes practice right. and it gets you get better at it and it gets easier. So, you know, nobody picks up a musical instrument and sounds good on the first day. You know, even Mozart <laughs> right. probably didn't sound good the very right. first yeah, time right. he touched yeah. a piano. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but with practice, you get better and better at it. And uh, so uh you need to practice though and and most of us are well practiced in our existing habits right and so we've developed a degree of fluency you know i know mm-hmm. people who can find a mcdonald's you know in any city <laughs> in the country you know yes. <laughs> like they just sniff it out like right, right. You know. no no it's located uh, over here <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly so so uh so you know you learn how to find the healthy options and the healthy foods uh-huh. step by step and and make them part of your starting rotation i mean the first time you make a new recipe it might take 45 minutes right and then and that doesn't even count the extra trip to the store to get the ingredients you didn't have. Right. But that you know, the twentieth time you make it, it might take seven minutes because you've mastered it. You're not even looking at the book anymore. You just know what to do, and you throw it in, boom, 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 and exactly. done. And you already have the ingredients because they're just naturally part of your shopping every month. Right. You know. Yep. So that's the thing that that you learn is how to get fluency. And if you can develop healthy habits and get fluency in things that are actually good for you, mm-hmm. then eventually you learn to love them. You know, I don't know if you have this experience, but when I hear a song for the first time, I might not like it. Right. And after like the 30th time you hear it enough on the radio, yeah, eventually yeah, yeah. it gets to be like yeah, yeah. an old friend. You're like, yeah. oh, yeah, and you're dancing because <laughs> right. you get familiar. And, and foods right. are a little bit like that. I mean, we actually have studies that show that the first time people eat kale, it tastes bitter to them yeah. often. Right. And by the seventh or eighth time, it starts to taste sweeter. And there's actually a science to this. Your, your saliva is learning to secrete huh. certain enzymes to break down that the... break it down and huh. make it taste sweeter in your mouth. So, oh. you know, your body does learn to adjust and you actually feed the bacteria in your gut that thrive on the foods you eat. So if you're right. feeding, eating, feeding them lots of sugar, then you're, sugar. you're breeding bacteria that like sugar, exactly. Right. And if you, if you, you know, you can actually have bacteria that like kale and they then send a signal to your stomach that you're hungry mm-hmm. for kale. So it actually is possible to learn to love foods that love you back. Oh, that's nice. I like that. Love foods that love you back. <laughs> that's a good one. Well, so much great information today. Um, people can find find your stuff at foodrevolutionnetwork.com.org? Dot, foodrevolution.org is the best okay. website to go Food to. Foodrevolution.org. Okay. And you can also go to foodrevolutionsummit.org to check out our annual Food Revolution Summit and hear the latest interviews from... 24 of the top food experts on the planet. I love that. Love that. And if it works out for you, we have our Global Happiness Summit, which one day we'll be talking specifically about health. And we'd love to have you come back and do a live presentation there for our viewers. I think we'll have 
know, a little over 50,000 people that will attend that this year. So Fabulous. we'd love to have you on because you're just, I love your passion. I love your energy. love the backstory. Hey, by the way, does your family still own Baskin Robbins? No, my grandpa sold it back in the 60s. Um, oh, he did? When his brother-in-law was dying, oh, uh, you know, good for him. he got a big offer and he moved oh. on. And that's when my dad kind of made his pivotal choice because my grandpa basically said, look, oh, I won't take sell. Oh, if you want to join and take over, right. you know, when Uncle Bert passes, right. then we can do this together. Right. And my dad said, no, thank you. That's not my path. And my grandpa said, you'll make a lot of money. Right. And if you leave, you won't. And my dad right. was like, yeah, dad do what you've got to do sell the company if that's what's best for you and, and uncle bert you know because i've got to follow my own path and right. i wasn't i don't feel that i was put on this planet to sell ice cream right and you know my grandpa was shocked and mm -hmm. kind of horrified you know they had a very tough time for a long time because right. my grandpa felt really betrayed you know he oh. he, he he loved that it was a family-owned company of course. and, yeah. and um that. And in turn, what happened after, you know, he left, he was not happy with. I mean, today, Baskin Robbins doesn't even make their own ice cream. Oh, I you know, know, they outsource that and, you know, they've changed their ingredient profiles. It's just become, a, it used to be a kind of relatively natural food, so to speak. And right. now it's become very, very, you know, mainstream commercialized like any other ice cream right. out there. And, you know, uh, my grandpa was mad about that along with other things like they used to, uh, it, up to the point that my grandpa sold the company, pretty much everyone who'd ever started a franchise uh, store with them had was still in business. They didn't lose oh, anybody. Right. Um, but after that, they started to have a lower batting average. Not all the franchises succeeded because the company went for mass expansion and they sure. were willing to have people not succeed. And my grandpa was very proud and like, nobody loses out here. We don't fire people. Right. Everybody's, everybody wins when you join this company. And then the company changed to have more right. of a mass production approach. And and there was some cost in that. My grandpa was very bitter about that um, oh, for a long time. Bad. And he blamed my dad for it. Oh, gosh. Because you know? uh, it's like, if you'd stuck around, we wouldn't right. be we here, wouldn't, you know. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, he ended up, of course, having his transformation and seeing what can right. happen when you make a change in your diet. And, right. you know, their relationship kind of had a healing. And, oh. you know, we've seen, in our, as we say in our family, blood is thicker than ice cream. Right, you know, yeah. Well, in the long run. Yeah. Um, but but it was quite a journey for sure. It sounds like it. Yeah, you guys need to write a book yeah. just about that whole process. If you haven't, maybe maybe there is. A, my dad my dad's written about it quite a oh, bit. Oh, has yeah. he? Okay, all right. Well, that, yeah. yeah, that's a pretty amazing story. So, yeah, and, and just the from one, not extreme necessarily, but from one state of being kind of to the next in your family over deck or over generations. That's kind of a, a, you know, very interesting dynamic, I'm sure. Yeah. In a positive absolutely. way, in a very positive way. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. well, Ocean, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We'll make sure we put links to all the ways that people can uh, engage with the great work that you're putting out. And I, a lot of the stuff I think you you actually do uh, the education and some of the uh, on the in the network, right? You're actually active in the network and you publish stuff. Oh, and, yeah. and put out oh, yeah, and stuff like that. So so it should sure. be very similar to what we're experiencing today, as far as the passion and the drive and the and and I love it. I love talking to passionate people every day that that's what gets me out of bed so I, it's a it's a fun thing to do sweet all right thank you so much for having thank me you. on and for everybody who's listening thanks for your attention and your participation you know you are part of the food revolution every time you choose real food over processed junk every time you eat lower on the food chain every time you learn and grow and every time you spread the word so i thank you for all your all your steps large and small to help change the world with your knife and fork awesome thank you so much Thank you for being a part of the Bright Vibe podcast. For more information, go to brightvibe.com. That's B-R-I-T-E, vibe, V-I-B-E.com. Thank you for listening.